my prayer life is vibrant and it's active daily. I like to commune with God at nighttime. I get under those warm covers and I kiss my wife goodnight. And I just start talking to God, just me and God, tell him everything. <sighs> Makes me just sleepy just thinking about it. And there I am, just laying in bed, laying out my request to him, and he's hearing me. I know that I'm in good company. Where was I? The efficiency of one's prayers are directly congruent to the position of one's body. Therefore, the legs should be saying, God, help me. Amen. There are times that me and God do not talk, and that is not God's fault. That is mine. I just get so busy. And so when I do end up talking to God, I really just try to impress him, give him a show, just to show him how much I love him. So excuse me, will you, as I pray to God. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, Heavenly Father, beseech me not unto thee. How now, brown cow? Oh, thy soul is so dry, and if I can just catch a morsel of who you are, so verily, merrily, down the stream. God, I just want to be used by you. God, I want... I want to be soft and light and light... Salt and scythe and lard and peppers and oregano and pepperoni and black olives and those little When I like to get my prayer on, uh, there's some things I keep in mind. Um, I think it's totally awesome that uh, God is like Santa Claus and he wants to give you the things that you want. Therefore, you need to keep lists of things. My list currently has 745 prayer requests on them. So then when I go to the Lord in prayer, it looks a little something like this. I'll just pray real quick. Um, let's see. The uno thing on my list is my mom. And so I'll pray for her now. Dear Heavenly Father, I lift up this sweet salt of the earth lady that you have blessed me with to be my mother. And I tell you thank you. And although I know that I'm called to respect her and I give her all due respect, there's also an issue of something she truly needs, and that is to stop a yapping. Lord, she yaps. And she doesn't know how to stop yapping. So could you please make her mute just for a day? Nothing permanent. Don't hurt her. I love her. Just mute her. Take your big God remote and push mute on her channel. That would be great. Henceforth, I would go on and pray all 746 things. God, you are greater than anything this world has to offer. And I can't wait for you to come back and get us. But until that time comes, would you help me just to, just to live my life day after day as if I'm just walking hand in hand with you? God, I, I have a lot of needs. And I have a lot of wants. And sometimes I get those things confused. Help me to just trust you to meet my needs. And be thankful when you give me those other things that I just want. God, I have blown it so many times today, and I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness. I don't take it for granted. And God, as I start this day out, I, 
I'm just reminded that this world is filled with so many spiritual potholes. Please help me to walk in such a way where I won't stumble so much. And as I'm going through this day, God, help me to live my life in such a way that would bring you glory and honor. May the life that I live be a life of worship to you. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I I could be almost all those guys in that skit at some point in my life, and a few more roles uh, in addition to those. Uh, I've had a lifelong struggle with prayer. And I say this with some embarrassment. I mean, I'm a pastor. Shouldn't, shouldn't I be good at prayer? <laughs> I need Jesus. I need Jesus to teach me how to pray. I need Jesus to show me what prayer meant in his life and in his ministry. And so when I read my Bible, I discover that prayer was so crucial for Jesus in his life and his ministry. A lot of times they were looking for him and they couldn't find him because he was off praying somewhere. That was something that he just never neglected. And it's as I think about prayer in my life, I, I think prayer often functions as some, some sort of preparation. Like if I'm, there's something coming up that's serious, and I'm, it's preparation for a battle. But then I look at the life and ministry of Jesus, and it looks to me like the battle for Jesus was prayer itself. That's where he fought the battles, and that's where the battles were one in communion with his heavenly father. And then he went out, you know, to do the ministry. And so in Luke 11, after Jesus uh, had been in a season of praying, one of his disciples came to him and he said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. This is interesting. It's not recorded in, our, in the Gospels, but apparently John the Baptist, in his discipleship program, put a strong emphasis on prayer. And Jesus' disciples, seeing him praying all the time, they were now asking him to do the same for them, teach us to pray. Now bear in mind, they had been with him for almost two years now. They had to see him praying for a while. They had to few, see a few things happen. Then they realized, we don't know how to pray. And we need to know how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Remember, they had had a front seat when he stood up to preach and teach. They watched him heal. As far as we know, again, it's not recorded. As far as we know, they never came to him and said, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to heal. But they did come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. We ask of someone else the best that person can give us. Here's what I mean. We ask of a banker, teach us to invest. We ask of a professional golfer, teach us to putt. We ask of a scholar, teach us to do research. We ask of a master chef, teach us to cook. So when Jesus' disciples came to him and they asked him, teach us to pray, See, they're saying, Master, you're the master prayer. This is the best you have to give us. Teach us to pray. And because prayer was obviously crucial in his ministry, Jesus wanted it to be vital in theirs and in ours as well. 
So he responded to their request by giving them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And we pray that in every service, although I think we might have missed it today, but oh well. (laughs) The Lord knew that that's okay. It's going to be in the message. (laughs) It's amazing to me how God is sovereign and kind and gracious. So we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer today as we're returning to our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. You might have forgotten that we were in the Gospel of Luke. We've been away from it for about four months uh, doing some other things. So I hope you remember our good friend, Dr. Luke, and uh, we're going to jump back in right where we left off. We're we're picking up in Luke chapter 11. And uh, as we look at this prayer, Jesus is giving this as a model prayer. It, It serves us in prayer the same way that an outline would serve a speaker. You know, it It tells us what to pray for, and it gives us the order of the prayer requests. And I would suggest to you that the Lord's Prayer divides into three parts. So that Jesus says, when we pray, first we ought to talk with the Father about his person, and then we talk with him about his program, and finally we talk with him about his people. So when we pray, we start with the Father. Jesus says, when you come to pray, you are to say, Father. Father. That wonderful word, that single word, sums up the entire basic relationship of the Christian life, the Christian faith. When we come to the creator of the universe, the one who created us, we are to address him as Father. There's a tenderness in that, isn't there? Father. And this is also the answer to the philosopher's question, is the universe friendly? Is the universe friendly? Is it unfriendly? Is it random? You know, many people look up at the universe and they're, they're simply overwhelmed by the vastness of what they see. And maybe they're so in awe of the workings of the universe and we're discovering more and more about it as the telescopes go farther and farther out, you know? The satellites go farther and farther out. And maybe people are so in awe of the workings of the universe that they completely lose the God who put it together. And God becomes just a, an impersonal, faceless being to them, if he is there at all. And you cannot have communion... You cannot have friendship in prayer with a faceless, impersonal being. So Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, Father. Jesus says, that's the word that should come to our lips. That's the first word that should just pop out of our mouths when we begin to pray, Father. A personal being whose face is love. And when we say, Father, Think about what we're saying. We are affirming that at the heart of the universe, there is not only ultimate power, because he is the creator God, but there is also ultimate love, because he is Father. Father. Now, not everyone can honestly address God as Father. We're only able to do so because of Jesus. It's only if Jesus comes to us and says, Here I am, your Savior. I came for you. Let me cleanse you from your sin. 
through my blood shed for you, my sacrifice for you at the cross. That when we trust in him, we're forgiven, and he brings us back into the presence of God. And we see God and we say, Father. Now we can say, Father, because we've been brought back to him, and we've been brought into his family. And Jesus then teaches us, those who follow Christ, he teaches us, That there is a Father. He teaches us how to pray. And he says, you can come to God as a child comes to a father in a family. You know, we as Christians, followers of Jesus, we can call God our Father. It's not presumptuous. Jesus says, call him Father. That's what he is to you. When we turn to the New Testament part of the Bible, more than 275 times we are told directly or indirectly that when we bow before the sovereign majesty of the universe, the Lord God, Creator Almighty, the word that should come easily to our lips is Father. Isn't that amazing? Father. When we talk to the Father, we say, Father... Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, names have a great deal of significance. Um, When parents name a child, they usually don't just slap on a random name and see if it sticks. None of you named your children that way. Hopefully, none of your parents named you that way. (laughs) They don't just name the child after a rich Aunt Agnes or wonder if the initials are going to look good on the luggage someday or to see how the first name rhymes with the last name. It's usually not how it works. Usually a child is named after a certain virtue or a certain value, a certain character, with the hope that the child will grow up into the name someday. My parents named me John. I came to understand that that name means the Lord is gracious. And... I hope I'm growing up into that name until the day I die. The Lord is gracious. When we pray, hallowed be your name, now we're talking about the name of God. We're speaking about God's character. We're talking about who he is, and we're asking that in our lives, God will be holy. That's what hallowed means. May your name be holy. That God will be God to us. That's a simple way to say it. That God will be God to us and nothing else, nothing less. Hallowed be your name. We'll not try to whittle him down to our size. We'll not try to use or manipulate him. God's name, his character, will be honored. Not shame in the way that we pray, in the way that we live, in the way that we repent, in the way that we believe the gospel. Sometimes I'm afraid... As we saw in the skit, sometimes when we listen to the babblings we address to heaven in the name of prayer, you know, we find some of them very close to blasphemy. I don't know about you, but I, sometimes we pray as if God were deaf, or as if God were stupid, or as if he needed our advice. Have you ever given God advice in prayer? It's a terrible sin on my or as if God must be motivated in order to act. Man, i got to pile up the reasons, Lord, why you really should do this. You know. Sometimes, if you listen to the way we pray, 
you discover that there, there are other names on earth that we apparently respect more than his because we say them so much more often than his. The names of other people, the names of friends, family. Or perhaps you find that there are names that you apparently fear more than his. Names that are always kind of in the back of your mind. Maybe the names of political leaders or terrorist groups who seem to be holding destiny in their hands these days. But Jesus says, when you pray, first say, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name in my prayers and in my living. May God be God to me. That God will be God in my life. That he will be the the Holy One in my life. And I'll not whittle him down to my size. Now, if the Lord's Prayer is an outline of the way to pray, I think it's significant that there is no prayer request here for our own personal spiritual lives. I don't know about you, but something that I find I pray for most often does not really seem to be there at all. That's a little troubling to me. It means I have to change the way I pray. Oh. When you look at the scriptures, the focus of the spiritual life is not inward. It is not about probing around in your soul to try to get yourself to be more dedicated. The focus of the spiritual life in the Bible is a focus on God. It's not a focus on me. It's not a focus on you. It's a focus on God. And when it is the desire of your life that God will really be God to you, not pretending, but God will really be God to you, that he will be honored, reverenced, respected, obeyed in your life. Let it begin in your life. That's where the spiritual life begins, and that's where the spiritual life thrives. It's when we say, Father, in my prayers and in my life, may you be the Holy One. May you be God, you alone. May you be God to me. And then after we talk to the Father about his person, Father, hallowed be your name, then we talk to him about his program. Jesus says, having talked to the Father about his person, that's where you start, let's Let's talk with him about a program. He, he has his own program. Again, he doesn't need me to give him a program. <laughs> he has his own program already. And he actually had it long before I arrived. And it's a really good program. And I just need to line up with it. So we talk to the Father about his program. And, and we pray like this. Father, your kingdom come. Your kingdom As Jack Miller says in his little devotional book called Saving Grace, in uh, the devotional on November 27th, he, he writes this, When we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, we're praying that the world will be made holy, like heaven. We're praying that every power not of God will be turned over and every human empire destroyed. Read the news now and you will see that God is turning over empires right now. God will have only one kingdom, 
Jesus alerts us to the signs that his kingdom is coming. Earthquakes, wars and rumors of war, hearts growing cold. Have you heard anything about these things in the news? Right now, he is getting ready for his final kingdom. The Spirit teaches us the meaning of the cross. He convicts the world of sin and unbelief. When people know they are sinners and know they need a Savior, then the door is open for the kingdom of God to come in and change everything. Father, your kingdom come. Someone once said that if you are writing a biography, you really ought to start with the person's death, not with his or her birth. Everyone is born and doesn't really have much to do with that. Am I right? You were born. How much did you have to do with that? (laughs) Suddenly there you were. You had nothing to do with it, right? So the question is not how you began. The question is how you end. And if that's true in the life of an individual, it's certainly a question that we must ask about the whole sweep of history. What do we do with history? It's crazy sometimes. As one of Shakespeare's characters says in Macbeth, is history a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing? Ralph Waldo Emerson said that history is just the biography of a few well-known men. Is that it? Is history going anywhere? The answer of the Bible is that history is God's story. Get it? History, his story. Yeah. History is God's story. And therefore, yes, it is moving. It is going somewhere. It is moving toward that great, far off, but getting closer all the time event, that great messianic kingdom that is promised throughout the Bible. It's a kingdom where Christ will come back and rule. It's a kingdom that will move on into eternity. At at that time, people and angels will join together to sing his praises, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. That's where history is going. Get on that train. That's where it's going. All of the Bible points forward to that great event. We open the pages of the Bible and we read that out of the darkness came the light. Out of the wanderings came the promised land. Out of a bad Friday came a great resurrection Sunday. After the tribulation will come a kingdom. We're often troubled by the darkness in this world, this troubled world. And when we are most filled with fear or anxiety or confusion. We look forward to that day. That's where things are going. And we pray, Father, your kingdom come. Nobody else's, not even mine. Father, your kingdom come. That's what we need. And so if I pray that for all people everywhere, for the world as a whole, I've got to pray that for myself here and now. 
In other words, what good is it for me to pray about God's glorious kingdom, God's glorious triumph, if today, in the small amount of space that I occupy, Jesus does not rule in my life? That's hypocrisy. If I am really sincere about wanting God's kingdom to come, then it seems to me that I will do everything I can to bring everyone I touch into a glad submission to the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. And I'll become willing. I'll become willing for all my little kingdoms that mean so much to me to be torn down, to be completely torn down, so that Jesus alone shall reign. So, after talking to the Father about his person and talking with him about his program, then we we can talk to him about his people. And by his people, we mean all who follow Jesus Christ as Savior from sin and Lord of life, all who have been brought into the Father's family through the forgiveness of sin, through trusting in Jesus Christ as the sacrifice, the Savior, the Lamb of God that was needed to take away the sin of the world, to take away my sin and yours. If that is your trust, if that is your faith, you are numbered among the people of God. And God looks at you. He forgives you because of Jesus Christ who wraps you up in his righteousness, the righteousness I don't have in myself, you don't have in yourself. The perfect righteousness of Jesus. And Jesus says, Father, this one is with me. And the Father says, you are forgiven. You are loved. And the Father looks upon you. He knows your name and he says, that's my daughter. That's my son. And you find yourself as a member of the family of numbered among the people of God if you're following Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says that we who follow him and are in the family of God, we can pray, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, we can ask him for the provision that we need. Now obviously when Jesus talks about daily bread, he's talking about the basic necessities of life. He didn't really say, you know, give us this day the cake we want. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the necessities of life, isn't it? I suppose if Jesus had been speaking to a group of people in the Far East, he might have said, give us this day our bowl of rice. Daily necessities. If he'd been talking in Italy, it might have been, give us today our pasta. Daily necessities. It's interesting that this word that is translated daily or this day, it's a word that was found several years ago on a piece of papyrus from the ancient world, and that piece of papyrus turned out to be a grocery list. Do you think you're going to find some great, you know, archaeological thing? It's a shopping list. (laughs) And so there were items on the shopping list. They were able to translate. And um, on that list were several things that were perishable. And next to each of those perishable items was written this word, this Greek word, epiusius. And it really just means enough for the day. You've got to get some of this today, because it only lasts for a day, enough for the day. And that's what Jesus is saying here, enough for the day. Now, let's be honest. 
in our culture where we have fridges, freezers, cupboards full of food. We hardly take this seriously. But in most of the world, and in many places in our city, and in some homes in our neighborhoods, this is a basic request. If we pray this prayer, we're asking God to provide our needs as we are serving his kingdom. Remember what's come before in this prayer. Now we get to the daily bread. As we're seeking his kingdom, Lord, provide what we need. So we're acknowledging that for our bread and for our threads and you know for the things we need, we will turn to God, our Father, and he will care and he will provide. Again, in his devotional book, Saving Grace, in the devotional on November 26th, Jack Miller puts it like this. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray this, he was teaching them and us to ask God not only for our daily physical need, but also for our daily spiritual needs. He's teaching us to pray, give us the bread of life today. Each day we are to ask our Heavenly Father to give us life to give us something that makes life worth living, to give us bread from heaven. In the Middle East, bread is everything. It's the spoon, and it's also the food. Jesus says that when we pray, we need to ask for what feeds our soul. We're to ask for the bread of life. Later in the chapter, Jesus connects this to the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we'll see that next week. Jesus is still talking about essentials, But now he has moved from what we need to sustain us physically to what we need spiritually. For our daily spiritual life, we need the Holy Spirit. That's how we receive the bread from heaven that sustains our soul. I want you to notice one more thing about this request. This request is in the plural. Did you notice that? Give us this day, not give me. Give us this day our daily bread. Our culture puts such an emphasis, strong emphasis on individualism. It's all about you. Be a self-made person. Get what you need. Then you can think about other things if you want. But when we pray, you know, we often pray for ourselves. We often pray for our families. But if you pray this prayer in the community of Christians as we do every Sunday together, this Lord's Prayer, if you pray that in the community of followers of Jesus, in the, in the family of the Father, and God gives you two loaves and your brother none, what do you do with that? You cannot assume that you have one loaf for eating and the other loaf for storing. Somehow you got your brother's loaf of bread and you get to deliver it. If you prayed together for daily bread, then if you have two and he has none, you have one for eating and the other for sharing. So when you talk to the father about his family, pray for provision for the family. Give us this day our daily bread. Then we can also ask the father for pardon. Maybe I'm the only one in the room who needs pardon every day. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is interesting because forgiveness is the way we enter the kingdom and it's the way we live in the kingdom, in the way of forgiveness. 
I think these two requests, these, that we just, the one previous and this one, I think these two requests, provision and pardon, are linked. It, it just hit me recently that these are linked. Give us and forgive us. These are daily needs. Give us and forgive us. I don't know about you, but I don't have any problem remembering to pray for my daily bread. My stomach will rumble to remind me that I'm hungry. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't easily forget that I, you know, I want to eat. <laughs> I know I'm hungry. Oh boy, but it is easily forgotten that I also need daily pardon. I don't just need daily bread. I need daily pardon. So here's what I'm trying to do. Whenever I think of my hunger, I'm trying to think also of my forgiveness. Because I need both. I I need bread and pardon every day. Now, St. Augustine, one of our early church fathers from North Africa, he called this the terrible petition. Isn't that a great name for one of the requests in the Lord's Prayer? The terrible petition. For it is not just forgive us our sins, but it is forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Okay, now we're getting personal. Because we don't like to do that. But there is a link here. Jesus is making a link for us between the way that I am willing to forgive others and the forgiveness that I ask of my Father in heaven. So if we really pray this sincerely, then we are revising our estimate of ourselves. We're revising our estimate of ourselves in a downward direction. We're admitting that we are sinful people. Today, I am a sinful person who needs pardon from my Heavenly Father. We're admitting that there is still, even as I follow Jesus, there is still a pollution that is deep in our lives, that is always seeping out in in thoughts or words or actions or desires. And when we can admit that about ourselves, don't you see we are much better able to understand the foibles of others and the pollution that is within them? Do you see the blasphemy of coming to God and saying, you who are holiness itself, forgive me my many sins. But that guy, you know, those folks over there, they really have wronged me. And it's unthinkable that I should extend forgiveness to them. At least not yet. People who do that are self-righteous. There's no other name for it. Don't soften it if you find that dynamic in your heart. Because that's a call to repentance. People who do that are self-righteous. Forgive me, but I can't forgive that person. And you can no more get forgiveness from a self-righteous person than you can get orange juice from a rock. Instead, we might pray this way. Lord, deal with me as I have dealt with others. She has really offended me, Lord. She has really hurt me badly. But, Lord, I I just don't want to leave it like that. Father, deal mercy to me as I deal mercy to her. 
or, Lord, he has really betrayed my trust. He's gone back on a serious commitment he made, and I'm wounded by that. But, Lord, it's not nearly as bad as the way I've gone back on commitments I've made to you. Lord, deal with me in mercy as I deal with him in mercy. Mercy is what we both need, Father. That's what we need. We need your pardon. So this is not saying that God forgives us because we forgive. Forgiveness begins with him. And it flows from him to us and through us to others. It's saying he forgives us as we are forgiving. Because we're members of his family and that's what the family does. Because that's what the father of the family does. Part of being in the Father's family is that we are part of a forgiven fellowship. Knowing the forgiveness of God gives us an opportunity, many opportunities, and a motivation to forgive others as we have been forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. And then finally, before we finish talking with the Father about his people, we should ask him for his protection. Provision, pardon, and protection as we talk with the Father about his people. And lead us not into temptation. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're saying, Lord, I am in trouble. I am vulnerable. I struggle. I am weak. I need you. I need your strength. Lead us not into temptation. We're saying, Lord, you have the power to take us past all the traps that the devil has placed in our path. And we depend upon you to do that. But let's face it. Can we talk? Can we be honest for a minute? If it weren't here in the Lord's Prayer, I believe very few of us would pray, lead us not into temptation. A young woman walking through a shopping mall wore a sweatshirt that said, lead me not into temptation. I can find the way myself. And isn't that the truth? You see, at some level, we like temptation. We fantasize about it. That's why we do certain things. We read certain books. We watch certain you know, TV shows or movies. It's like this. What we want to do is dance, but not have to pay the piper. We don't want the consequences. So this is not just a prayer, Lord, keep us from being naughty boys and girls. This is to recognize that the enemy of our... We have an enemy. And that the enemy of our souls would destroy us if he could. He doesn't want to just do us a little damage. He wants to destroy us. And what he wants to do is separate us from God, because that is destruction. That will end in destruction if he can separate us from God. Here's what I mean. He wants to convince us that God is not a father, that God is not a friend of sinners, that in fact God is an enemy. He really doesn't have your best interests in mind, so you better look out for yourself. That's what Satan wants to do. That's how he wants to separate you from the Father. He wants to convince us that our little kingdoms matter more than anything else. 
that our names have to be established and our reputations upheld. That we have to go out and hustle to get not only our daily bread, but our weekly bread. And forget about temptation. Hmm. But in doing that, you see, Satan separates us from God. And we stand alone in our own little world. And we fall into the traps that Satan has placed there. The temptation is the alienation of our souls from our Savior. So when we pray to the Father, the Father who loves us, when we pray to the Father that we will be delivered from temptation, what we really are praying is, Lord, when I've got the inclination to sin and I've got it bad, keep me from the opportunity. And when I have the opportunity to sin, Deliver me from the inclination. You know what? I have actually seen God do that in my life. The times when I have the inclination to sin and I've got it bad, and He does something to remove the opportunity. And when I see that, I just have to chuckle. I just have to laugh. God is at work. And then when I have times where I have an opportunity to sin. I don't know how he does it, but he delivers me from the inclination. That's how he works. That's what we need. Behind every temptation is the tempter. Never forget that. The tempter, a grim and evil force. A person whose aim is to destroy you. Father, Father, deliver us. So, that's the way to pray. When you talk to the Father about the Father, talk to Him about His person, about His program. When you talk to Him about His people, talk to Him about His provision, about His pardon, about His protection. When you pray, say, Father, that's who He is to you. Father. So let's wrap it up. Have you, have you ever played this little game with your children where you've got some pennies clenched in your hand, they're, 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 they're tightly inside your fist, and, uh, and, and they climb up on your lap, and they try to pry your fingers open, you know, to, to, get, to get at the pennies that you've got, or the nickels that you've got, or whatever it is you've got in your hand, right? Now, you probably know that according to the international rules of finger opening, uh, once a finger is opened, you know, you can't, you can't close it again, boy. Once they get that open, that finger is open. And they, they work at it, and it's fun, and, and, and they keep working at it until they get all the pennies in your hand. Am I right? <laughs> and then you jump down. You know, they, they jump down they, and off your lap, and they run away laughing. It's just a game. You know, it's just a game for kids. We got the pennies. But sometimes... I think when we come to God in prayer, we come for the pennies in his hand. Lord, I need a passing grade. Help me study. Lord, I need more money. I need a job. I need a better job. I need more work. Lord, my family member is ill. Heal her. Those things are real. Those things are valuable. But in one sense, they're pennies. We reach for the pennies. When God grants the request, what do we do? You know, we're done. We got what we wanted. We're we're done with his hand. 
and we jump down and run away. You know, it's, it's just a game. We got what we wanted. God is gracious, isn't he? And he gives us the pennies. But more important than the pennies in God's hand is God himself. And that's what this prayer is all about. That's what the Christian life is all about. God himself. When you go to God in prayer, you're, you're just picture this. You're climbing up onto his lap, and his arms are around you, embracing you. His hands of love are upon you. And the name that is upon your lips is Father. Father. Pray like that. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.